Welcome to the Actual Fluency Podcast. Each week you'll find inspirational, motivational interviews with some of the world's best language learners, industry experts, all trying to help you to learn foreign languages better, faster, and more efficiently. And here we go. If you're looking for a language teacher to enhance your language learning, then I highly recommend italki. Italki is the world's biggest tutoring platform and you can find thousands of teachers and tutors at very reasonable prices. Get a free lesson after completing your first lesson by going to languageteacher.co. Hey everyone, episode 143 of the Actual Fluency Podcast here. Imagine you're, you're applying for a job, but the person responsible for the recruitment says, we're going to employ someone who can also do language teaching. And uh, that's exactly what our guest today, Aviva Levin, uh, experienced. He was applying to be a teacher at a school, and the uh, person responsible for the recruitment basically said, we need someone who can also teach French. And with limited language skill, limited French skills, uh, Aviva jumped straight into it, and he, she shares her experience in this show. We also talk about general teaching methods, ways you can make your classroom teaching more interesting, how to engage the kids in a better way so they learn more. And we also talk a little bit about the language dynamics of Canada, how uh, you've got English and French and the differences between that and also whether Quebecois French or French French uh, textbooks are being used in the classroom, which I didn't know. So um, I hope you find this interesting and we're just gonna get straight into it. So my name is Aviva Levin, and I am a high school teacher, uh, originally from Richmond, British Columbia, which is a suburb of Vancouver, BC in Canada. And uh, I've been a language teacher since, well, that's a story I'll go into, but I've been a teacher uh, since 2009. Um, and the the story that uh, we talked about a little bit before uh, is, is very much like my my journey into becoming a language teacher, which was not my intent when I set out. Um, I trained as a history teacher. Um, and then when I was new in my career, I had a principal come to me and say, I see that you've applied for this job as a history teacher. And we have an opening, quite a few people have applied, and we're gonna give the job to whomever can also teach one class of introductory French. <laughs> and uh, and she's like, we're going to give it to, to the person with the most qualifications. And so I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm not super qualified, but, you know, French was my most excellent subject in high school. It was not. Um, and, you know, I love to teach it. And I had one more credit at university than the other applicants. Right. They gave me the job. <laughs> Fantastic. And how was your uh, how was your own school with, with languages? Uh, I know uh, French is, isn't as uh, popular in the West, if I can use that word, uh, as it is in the East. But did you did you have any language class growing up, or, or how how was your personal relationship to to that kind of subject? Well, so um, you're absolutely right. In Eastern Canada, where we have um, Quebec and the pr provinces that are adjacent to it, as well as New Brunswick, are only bilingual province, um, language learning of French starts at the very beginning. Um, but the further out west you get, the more and more delayed 
it becomes. Um, and so my experience was very similar to what my students' experience was, which was a smattering of French at the elementary level. Um, and by smattering, I mean the teacher puts on a video called Je suis une pizza, and the kids <laughs> sing along to it. I, I highly recommend the song. It's excellent, um, but not very educational. Uh, and then in grade eight, which is when a high school starts, at least in our district, that's when you have sort of square one basics, and then you can choose to take it up to grade 12, but you have to take a language. So for some students in British Columbia, they take French for one year and then they switch to Spanish or Japanese or Chinese or any other languages that are offered. Um, and so I kept, kept going all the way through to grade 12 um, and then took a couple courses at the university level, which fortunately got me the job. Um, but it, it was very much like the academic my reading was much better than anything else. Lots of worksheets, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. As a hot topic, the the language uh, institutions. I, I had a, a chat with. I, I was in Montreal a few years ago, and we were talking a little bit about how hard it is actually to have a multilingual country. Uh, and and Canada is not even, you know, that great of an example of one. But but certainly, if you as you mentioned, if you go east you see it a lot more and even over there they they're kind of confused in a way sometimes they've got some personality splitting going on where english is a little bit more i don't know if i want to say trendy or it's a little bit more uh, cool maybe the younger people are maybe a little bit more attached to it and then you've got the older generation trying to kind of maintain that french and, and really keep it going uh, so it's interesting to hear how that how that is over in, on the the west the west side and that sounds i mean that to me that sounds almost like they're not getting any french knowledge if you just do the minimum like how much could you even get if you only start at grade eight and you only have to do a year i mean you would get absolutely nowhere i'd imagine yeah i mean it's it's definitely a problem and it recently well not so recently popped up um, when there was like a, so all government communication is technically supposed to be in both English and French, but apparently one um, government agency in BC was just referring people to copy and paste and then Google Translate <laughs> um, because they didn't have any qualified translators. Um, and I've seen like some funny internet memes where um, because everything needs to be labeled bilingually, like your cereal boxes to your medicine, everything, um, to be able to sell in Canada, I've seen like internet photos where someone just wrote French, 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 French <laughs> in the hope that I guess it got filled in later and just nobody remembered to do that. Oops. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> well, um, so, uh, and the other hot topic as well, I guess we should just mention is, is the language instruction itself. You know, uh, a lot of people that I talk to have absolute miserable experiences in 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 language school in in the uh, uh let's say primary and high school so maybe you can share a little bit as a teacher how 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 is the how is the task even presented to you what what's the first you hear of it let's say you're starting to teach french are you given a syllabus you have to go through is it very rigid can you how much say do you have in it and and how can you make it interesting as a as a teacher 
Yeah, so um, I, I'm very fortunate as a teacher in BC in that we have a lot of autonomy as teachers in our curriculum. Like there's learning outcomes that we need to meet, um, but they're, they're fairly vague and we can meet them in a variety of ways. So um, I was able to, for instance, um, in like my senior curriculum, create all my own units. Um, and so basically what I do is I do units on things that are of interest to me um, and that I know that I'm going to enjoy talking about and enjoy doing and that I'm going to enjoy marking because as a teacher, we often hate marking. Um, but my goal has always been for myself to create projects that I'm actually looking forward to mark. Um, so like, for example, one of my units ends, like, have you ever done those murder mystery dinners? where you like have to figure out kind of, it's almost like an escape room with a bunch of clues and you have to pierce it all together, interrogate the sub suspects, figure out who, who did it. I played the game uh, Clue. <laughs> That's okay. probably the closest so, I get. <laughs> so um, yeah, there was a trend for a while uh, in Vancouver, like a lot of these kind of escape rooms um, with these like mysteries and I've gone to a couple murder mystery dinners. So like one of the end projects that I do is that they have the groups need to put on like this murder mystery and then we as a class like interrogate them. So using our questions um, and figure out who the the murderer or the robber or whatever is, um, which I love doing. Like I look forward to those days very much where uh, marking tests I do not look forward to as much. Right. Is, is there a, a risk with the autonomy that you have, let's say, maybe less passionate teachers or maybe just bad teachers uh, who might just kind of not do as good as, as the teachers who are passionate about it? I mean, that that will happen even with the syllabus, I suppose. But is it is the is there such a thing as too much autonomy, do you think? Or in what ways are your personal let's say uh, modules and projects and stuff evaluated on a on an academic level is it purely the the results that the students get so as long as you have a certain average or a certain uh, exam result you're you're assumed to be doing well or is each component or the what you produce actually looked at by a third party in in any way um, so both excellent questions and I'll kind of speak to, to one and then the other. Um, in terms of the autonomy, like absolutely, um, it, can, it can create some uh, difficult learning situations and that's actually the problem that I was in um, my first year teaching. So I get this class of, of grade eight beginner French students and I, and I ask, um, you know, where is the, where's the syllabus? What am I supposed to teach? And um, they're like, well, we ordered some intro books, like we've ordered a program and schools will often do that where they choose like a specific yeah. program that they follow in the junior grades. Um, but they're like, hasn't arrived yet. Just do what you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. Um, and so what I did, the first thing I did is I went to my, my former French high school teacher's classroom and I said, help me, <laughs> help me, Madame Lynn. And so she kind of gave me an outline of what she did and like the learning outcomes and uh, that she was looking for and some examples. And then it was just a lot of Googling. Um, I use actually, I, and I still use, and I put my own stuff up on a, a UK site called TES. Um, where like language and other curriculum is set up um, and our 
like the BC and it seems like the UK uh, outcomes are very closely aligned. Um, and yeah, it was, it, I was pretty much a day ahead of the kids. Like they'd be like, what are we doing tomorrow, Madame Levin? And I'd be like, it's a surprise. And then my dad, I'd be like, to me too. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine that must have been quite the the ride. Uh, so, yeah, what can you even do in that uh, scenario? That's pretty funny that the materials hadn't even arrived. It, it was definitely like I think an unusual situation that they were in, where the person that they had hired um, left like just before the beginning of the school year, and so there was a lot of confusion. Um, but yeah, it was it was an interesting time for me. Fortunately, grade eight, they're 13. No one really questions too much. They're not, they're getting used to high school. So they didn't really know that like maybe my panicked looks weren't normal for high school teachers. <laughs> um, and then, but I will say, and I guess this kind of goes into my journey so I can save this for later. Um, by the end of it, I was like, okay, I don't think I did a great job this year but I loved being a language teacher and I need to figure out how to do this right. Right. So that was the ambition, the the drive to kind of keep growing as well. Yeah. Um, and so I eventually uh, did uh, several like immer immersion opportunities as well as I went back to university and got like a post-bac diploma on language teaching so I could finally figure out what I was doing <laughs> <laughs> well I'd like to ask you a little bit about that but just before uh, just rounding up the, the um, high school it the materials you use uh, I had a talk with someone recently about this is it um, uh, do you have like what kind of French do you teach in Vancouver basically is my question so that's a question that we get asked a lot. Um, and my, I know that people want me to say like Parisian, Quebecois, Haitian, but really the answer is beginner. Like right. if, if you're creating French sentences and you feel confident doing it, I don't care if you're using slang from anywhere in the world or, you know, you, you're doing a great job. Um, but for for me, because I'd done my language learning um, as an adult in, in Quebec, um, I definitely have a tendency to, I think I've been told that my accent is a little bit more Quebecois. Um, and then, you know, that's where I'm going to go for resources because I want to keep it local to being Canadian um, because sense. our history is, is one of a bilingual country. You know, the English fought the French. The English won, um, but one of the concessions was that the French language would be kept alive in the country. And so although it's created a lot of cultural confusion, um, I do think that as a Canadian teacher, that has been, you know, my goal is to honor that. Um, but that being said, we spend a lot of time, especially in the older grades, like listening to videos and podcasts of all sorts of different French and even like some Louisiana, like Cajun, Creole kind of stuff and comparing the accents. Um, so in terms of like idioms, I'm, I'm mostly introducing um, Quebecois idioms. Um, and that's good to hear. Yeah. That, that's good to hear. And, and the books, do you, uh, the, like the courses, you mentioned a course, is that a specific... Quebecois course or is it just a general one if that's so, if such a thing so the, exists 
Yeah, so the one that um, we, in my school, we used in quite a few um, schools and BCUs is called Communicat, and that actually is locally developed, like okay. Canadian for BC level French. Fantastic. That's good. Because I heard some stories over in, uh, when I was in Montreal that it was fairly recent that they started using actual Quebecois textbooks. So they would use, you know, French, uh, France, French uh, textbooks in the classrooms, and then everyone would leave the classroom and speak their normal, you know, spoken dialect or <laughs> spoken version. Um, but it's good to hear that at least that's not happening uh, in your school. It's, I think it's important, uh, definitely. It's a cultural heritage. It's, it's about identity for sure. And it's also about unity, I guess, as a country. You know, it's, you're kind of in it together, so you uh, need to have experience and knowledge of, of both languages to, to be part of a, the country, I think. Absolutely. And I think that there's just in language in general, there, in the last decade, there's been a lot of examination around our own biases and privileging. Um, you know, this, this idea that for some reason, uh, French from France, French is better French than Quebecois French, which is absolutely not true. You know, we're realizing it's just a different way of speaking, the same way that I think more and more linguists are accepting that, for instance, um, like African-American dialects of speaking English are just as valid, just as grammatical um, as your received pronunciation. Um, and so I think as we recognize more groups and more identities, I think we're becoming more accept accepting of language. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And and hopefully it'll, there'll be, it'll continue to, to grow in, in popularity. So English doesn't uh, completely take over, <laughs> which has <laughs> happened other places, I guess. Um, I was thinking also with the high school. So you said grade eight, they're about 13, and then they can have it for up to uh, four more years or three more years total. Um, what kind of, what have you seen to be really effective with learners of these ages? Um, maybe you can compare a little bit with your own experiences, but like if there's any language teachers out there who might be struggling, because I can imagine 13, yeah, they're probably a little bit young, but as they get not much older, they, I, I you've got the trouble teens starting, right? So, <laughs> so I don't know if you have any uh, tips or tricks for, for any aspiring or current language teachers on, on how you can, I, I guess the point is about how to make them learn really and, and not uh, go <laughs> crazy in the classroom with uh, all sorts of other things. <laughs> We'll just take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors, and then we'll be right back. On this podcast, I've interviewed hundreds of language learners, some of the world's greatest polygots and industry experts. And one thing they all agree on is the value of one-to-one -one tutoring lessons. And for this, I highly recommend italki. They have thousands of teachers in all price ranges, and they even have certified teachers who have taken diplomas or have degrees in the language you're learning. So whether you're just brushing up on your Italian ahead of a trip to Rome, or you want to master Russian to take the uh, exam, or whatever your goals are in languages, italki has a tutor suitable for you. And compared to private tutoring offline, it's really affordable. You can find informal tutors down to $5 an hour, or and you can have trial lessons for even less. 
So if you want to master a language uh, from the comfort of your own home and you even get a $10 credit when you complete your first lesson, go to languageteacher.co and check out italki. It might be the best thing you do for your language learning this year. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's something that I struggle with, but definitely I have some tricks up my sleeve. Um, I'd say first and foremost is just appealing to what they're interested in. So like depending on what the major thing of the day is, whether it's like it used to be Justin Bieber and then it was One Direction, um, you're wanting to direct the resources there. Um, and I find too that channeling them into those passions to find something on their own. So we used to have a lot of, for instance, like class novels that everyone would read together. Um, and I've recently transitioned right out of that because there's not a lot of novels that are going to appeal to everybody um, and done a lot of work around students exploring blogs. Mm -hmm. So the idea being, you know, you if you can find a blog about something you care about, whether it's cars or, you know, cryptozoology or music, and you can show it to me and I can see that it's in French and it's not um, written by someone who isn't completely awful with a lot of swear words in it, um, then that's going to be your reading material for this week. Um, because you're only going to read what you want to find out about. And, yeah. and that goes for English as well as any language that you're learning. Um, so doing a lot more individualized learning, I think it is important. Um, like I do genius hour projects with my students where they choose like an inquiry question at the beginning of their senior year. And then rather than do a big exit exam, like we used to have with like a, a hundred multiple choices in an essay, they're presenting on the results of that inquiry question um, in a, in a kind of like science fairy collaborative collaborative way. Um, so that, you know, you're sparking that inspiration. It's something they actually want to go home and do. Um, so that I think is important. Um, the other thing that I do a lot of is improv in the classroom. Um, I come from like an improv theater background myself. And to me, like when I was in high school, a lot of any speaking was memorized dialogue. Like, do you have a banana? yes, I have a banana. How much is your banana? My banana is a dollar. And then as I was recreating that in my own classroom, the question struck me is like, what happens if my students go to Quebec and there's no bananas? Right. Nobody's going to know what to do because like conversation is never in real life scripted. No one ever takes out a dictionary unless, you know, you're really struggling for that word. So how can I recreate artificially an actual conversation. Um, so I started incorporating a ton of improv. Um, and so what it looks like is, you know, in some cases they're just picking prompts out of a hat and then they have to make a, a like a little skit around it. And it's like, okay, you've got 20 minutes and then you present, or sometimes it's more structured to, okay, you're in a restaurant and you encounter a problem, but you guys need to figure it out. And they can't have their phones, they can't have a dictionary, they just need to spend a little bit of time planning, and then they just go. Um, and at first, they're petrified, and I've, talk, <laughs> I've done some pro-D with other teachers, and they're like, oh no, the students would never do that. I'm like, no, no, no. You tell them that the first time's going to suck, 
and it does. And then you just keep doing it. And by the end, you are going to be blown away with what your students can show you. And I actually noticed that with the improv, their grammar improved a lot. Because again, I was making it relevant. Instead of like teaching a lesson on the anterior past, while they're prepping their scenes, they'd come to me and be like, Madame Levin, I want to be able to say blank. How do I do that? I'd do a little mini lesson on the whiteboard for just the three kids that wanted to know. And then they'd always remember it because they were the ones that generated the interest in that grammar. Right. And I can imagine how that must be a, a totally different classroom experience is, you know, making it fun and, and uh, interactive is kind of the opposite of what most people would connect <laughs> a classroom to. <laughs> and then, yeah, the, the last thing I think that is a most important because being a teenager is such a vulnerable time um, is creating like a really safe community in the classroom. Um, and so that can be done like in, in little ways. Like for instance, I never jump in and correct my students when they're speaking. Mm. Um, that's something that was done to me and it just made me never want to open my mouth. Um, and so students get a chance to just speak freely. And then if I'm noticing certain errors that are consistent, like, oh, I'm hearing a lot of S's being pronounced at the end of words, we'll do like a mini summary where I'm like, okay, that was a really good set of scenes. I just want to go over a quick couple of grammatical things. Um, but I'll never individually pinpoint student errors um, and make them feel like they have been you know, because for a teenager, something simple like, uh, actually, it's pronounced without the S becomes, oh, my God, my teacher hates me. Everyone's yeah. <laughs> laughing at me. I'm never going to do this correctly. I'm just never going to take this class again in my life. Yeah, you um, can quickly take it personally, even though there's no reason f for that to happen, because nobody knows anything at age 13. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> but yeah, that's how they think for sure. I, I once had a had a teacher tell me um, we had been analyzing, uh, and this was me as an adult. Um, we had been analyzing a poem in in French, and I had you know this idea about what like what it might actually mean, but I didn't exactly have the vocabulary for like literary analysis. And the and the prof in in front of the whole class told me, you know, until you can properly express you what you want to express, you shouldn't raise your hand. <laughs> That's pretty and rough. That, <laughs> yeah, that feeling for me as like a 25-year-old, I was like, I can't even imagine how a 15-year-old would feel. Like, I'm never going to make any student feel like that. Yeah, uh, that's horrible. Nobody should feel like that. <laughs> um, so how did, um, going just going back to the beginning of the story where you getting this job how do you what's the strategy there when you when you know that okay i'm not a genius in this language or this subject in any way of course the people you're teaching are you know even worse yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know so it's a it's a bit of a case of the the blind leading the blind but how did you organize yourself in the beginning and, and what so i guess this is a transition into you becoming suddenly a, a, an independent learner and, and taking that challenge on, but what was going through your mind and, and how did you start, start that well, task? The first thing I did was call my dad. Um, and my dad is an, is an interesting person. He, um, 
he did a master's in linguistics and it is like a hyper polyglot. At one point he was able to converse almost fluently in 10 languages. He's the kind of guy that you can like drop into, you know, a remote island and within three days he's got the grammar figured out and he's speaking it. Um, I unfortunately did not inherit that. I <laughs> wish that I did. <laughs> Um, and so I called him and I said, oh no. And he's like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had a kind of quick conversation about, um, I was like, okay. And he, his job was basically to just like pump me up and be like, well, if anything, you've got enthusiasm. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and I was like, thanks dad. Um, but it was funny, like now that I say that, because one of the best compliments that I've ever gotten kind of indirectly as a teacher was I once had a colleague come in to my room and she'd be like, oh my God, guess what I overheard in my classroom? There was this kid, Josh, and he, you know, cause teachers, we totally eavesdrop on our students all the time. And if you talk about a teacher, we're totally going to them and being like, guess what the students might have right. said about you. And she's like, it was um, student. And he was talking to his friend about a French test that he has coming up. And he said, you know, I don't really like this class. I'm not that great at it. But man, Ms. Levin loves teaching it so much. I need to get a good grade so that she can see that it's worth it. <laughs> that's fantastic. And I was like, that's the best compliment that obviously my enthusiasm has stayed going through. Um, and so I set out with basically, okay, what is the very basics that I want the students to know when they, they leave. So I went and grabbed somebody's um, syllabus for the next grade and be like, okay, well they need, these are the things that they need to know before they can get to do what the grade nine teacher wants them to be able to do. Um, and then I just started, like I said, doing a lot of Googling. It came back a lot quicker than I thought it, like although it was, I wasn't a stellar, uh, French student in high school and university, like the more complex stuff did come back to me fairly quickly. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of, well, that's a fantastic question, Billy. Why don't we find out together? <laughs> Pretending that, you know, like I'm modeling researching questions when in reality I'm like, I don't know, let's find out. Right. Um, and, and that actually, I think, is is something that I, I still do even when I do know the answer now. So it wasn't as bad as I thought it was when I was doing it right. back then. Um, and honestly, it was a lot of asking the kids like, hey, what are you interested? What do you wanna learn about? And then just scrambling to, to, to fill in those gaps. Um, Build it there. But I guess yeah. as, the, as you got more experience and you had more and more uh, what can you call them? Years, uh, you know, you, that you could build up sort of a uh, a routine and an arsenal you could you could use going forward, so it wasn't as scrambly every time. Absolutely, and in fact, now I've got the opposite problem where I've got so many resources that it's having to like which which one of my babies that I worked on hundreds of hours do I eliminate? <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. That's not always fun. No. <laughs> But the is the instructional language English, or or do you try to speak as much as possible in the in the class, or is that so depending on what year? That, that's something that I've gone back and forth on a lot, and talked to a lot of language teachers about. And uh, and it really, 
comes down to, to the class. Um, obviously beginners, um, you know, there's going to be a lot more English, especially in the beginning, just because you, again, they're a lot of, they're fresh into high school. You don't want to, for them to panic. Yeah. Um, and then more and more and more as, as the grades go up. One thing that I do promise my students at the beginning of every semester is that I will never explain a grammatical concept that is new to you in French. Right. Because it's like, there's just a double punishment because not only do you not understand what I'm saying, now you're losing out on the, the learning to understand what I'm going to be saying tomorrow. Yeah, that's, that's a bit rough. Uh, I remember doing some German at university and yeah, having German grammar explained in German was very, yeah, that was uphill. That was uphill. <laughs> <laughs> or downhill. I, I don't know, yeah. know how to use that metaphor anymore. I feel like it's yeah. rough. <laughs> It's like uphill, yeah, it's really tough. And then downhill is really easy. But then again, downhill is also... You end up at the, in the mud pit. Yeah, the chasm or something, yeah. <laughs> so to tell me how, how that experience kind of... I mean, you've already shared quite a bit of it, but how did, how's your... Do you have any future language projects lined up? Or uh, do you want to, you know... Uh, be a bit like your dad, learn 10 languages or what is, what's the future hold for, for you? So for me, um, I definitely like my own learning and, and improving is definitely a priority. Um, I'm, you know, trying to read and speak. I go to like a, a, a meetup kind of language cafe once a week to um, speak French and, and keep that from going rusty. Um, and having the chance to talk to adults because talking with kids all the time is super <laughs> fun, but your own learning doesn't exactly increase. Um, and actually one of the things that I'm really passionate about and that I'm, I'm trying to work on on the side is uh, a book for students that is relevant to their age group, um, but still linguistically relevant as well. Because often what happens is the, the books that they're able to read are about like the three, three bears and Goldilocks. Um, but that's not where their interest is. Right. Um, and, but then, then when they want to read about like young people like them, they just can't because of the language barrier, at least in, in the West in Ontario, they're reading Harry Potter and they're fine. Um, and so I personally, my, my little private project is trying to make a resource that is, relevant for students to read, fun for them to read, but that they can also feel confident in reading because it's to their language ability. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. You just, I guess you just have to be ready to update it quite frequently because the fads change all the time. No, it's crazy. <laughs> like a year ago, I don't think people knew what Fortnite was, for instance. <laughs> 10 years ago, nobody knew what a fidget spinner was or, you know, when I, no. was, in, when I was in school, it was all about pokemon and uh, all these collectible stickers and dragon heads and whatnot and you know obviously nobody talks about those anymore uh, or no. they've resurfaced I, I don't know yeah but, and i think for me the oh sorry no, no go um, ahead. I, I think for me the relevance also comes in like social relevance so for instance in all of our um, materials we don't have a very diverse and representative group of, of young people in necessarily in the textbooks or in the um, educational novels. 
So, you know, I actually, I remember um, being handed a stack of books and I like read the first page and it was like, Susie is pretty thin and blonde. She has a boyfriend. Um, <laughs> and I was like, and nope, like I'm not giving this to my students. So trying to, you know, make it so that our LGBTQ students feel like they're being represented, our, our students of color, even like students with different abilities rather than just this very standard language learner that everyone seems to think exists that is white and privileged and just exists in our textbooks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all, it's all important. And, and I think the learning is just better if it, if it feels more realistic or more applicable to the, to the students. Yeah, like I, I went and I just out of curiosity, I went and looked at um, I built up quite the novel collection over the years, either through um, some federal funding as well as just going to like thrift stores and, and buying as many used books as I can. And out of the like 200 plus books I had, I realized I only had four protagonists of color, which right. is just not representative of who our students are. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a big big uh, I don't know revolution coming in terms of the materials definitely and I think the the way we can introduce materials now also with online courses or tablets really allows for a much more dynamic picture of society instead of this you know very static and, and almost boring in a way because you can't like you couldn't write a book 20 years ago with the most current video game or something because that no. would be outdated two months later or five months later but if you have a if you had a an online platform or, or or dynamic platform you could basically make a blog post sort of every month for the students to read that would be new in line with their interest featuring people that they can recognize as as uh, oh that sounds like me or that feels like me or that's a situation i could be in rather than what you mentioned before you know susie and <laughs> like generic, generic characters in 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 these books because i i really think that a big key to to uh success in in children's language learning is really about just making it fun which you're doing a great job with it, it sounds like and Thank the you. materials obviously have to be be there as well it's almost better to me to not use any materials uh, if if it has to be those generic ones i'd rather just do you know interactive and <laughs> almost improv like you mentioned uh than than these old dusty textbooks i just remember, yeah, remember it was funny that because, because there was this textbook fund and they um they came to us and they're like okay which textbooks do you want us to buy and we were like can we not <laughs> can buy? we get some, some <laughs> other <laughs> props <laughs> yeah and so we ended up um like fortunately we uh had a little bit of a fight on our hands but at the end it was decided that we could then use the money to buy like magazine subscriptions and um That's some better, yeah. access to some online game like language learning games you can buy um like school subscriptions so that everybody can go on and actually as a teacher um you can kind of monitor your students progress in these these games and everything in their life is gamified um at this point so they're you know it's a lot easier to say, okay, I want you to go up at least one level on Duolingo tonight than to be like, all right, you have to read pa pages three, four, and five yeah. to do accompanying questions. 
But exactly, that's a good point. You know, even Duolingo with its many flaws and a lot of people criticize it would be, in my view, infinitely better than most textbooks, certainly the ones that I had when I was in school, just because it's just such a boring way to do it. And in yeah, Duolingo, and you get the nice graphics and you get the funny sentences. And, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I, like, <laughs> with things like Duolingo, obviously, like I agree with you, there, there's some legitimate criticisms, but any, any little bit, a little bit of that, a little bit of anything else, and with the guidance of a teacher, which I think is important, I'm always amazed by the, the people that are able to self-teach without any um, outside tutoring or guidance like that, just all the props to them. Um, but, you know, to, to just having that guidance with those online platforms, I think can be really amazing. Yeah, definitely agreed. One, one last thing I, I just had in mind uh, before we finish is the, you said you went back to get I, I forget the word you use, so a proper <laughs> uh, <laughs> linguistic background. Just re remind me what, what that was. The Yeah, so I went and got a diploma in language and literacy education. Right. Um, so what did that, what did that teach you? Uh, any surprises or aha moments that you could apply to your own teaching? Or was it more solidifying what you already uh, imagined was the, <laughs> the way to go? Um, that's a really great question. Um, I think I found it, I, I did it through UBC where I also did my um, education degree. Uh, and I, I found the diploma very, very helpful. When I was learning how to be a teacher, all that philosophy discussion about what is teaching and, and what is the subject matter and grappling with that, it was, it was too soon for me because I was just like, how do I make a lesson plan? Teach me that. Um, whereas later, as I'd been teaching to grapple with those bigger philosophical questions made me, I think, a better teacher and I was ready for it. Um, the other thing that really came to me was the role of social emotional learning in how we teach and just how important it is for students in their learning um, and to make those connections with our students and to have that emotionally safe space for them to be in um, and really making it about teaching the students, not necessarily teaching the subject matter. The students are the people that we teach. We're just happen to be teaching French while we do that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that makes them better language learners because they feel like they have a place in the classroom and I'm not just throwing grammar at them and waiting to see what sticks. Um, I'm actually, you know, teaching what they want and what they need to know. Um, and then I, I highly recommend anyone getting, you know, to go back because I, like anything, I had some classes that were maybe not so great, but then I had some amazing classes, mostly taught by working teachers um, that were just highlighting some really cool techniques to use in the classroom, um, some references. And the other thing is that there's so much amazing research happening in the field of linguistics and language education and just education in general. And it often feels like these papers are published and then the only people that ever read them are other academics. Right. And so being in the situation where I was forced to read them, because, I mean, honestly, you come home, it's like Netflix or academic paper. Like, what do you 
um, made me realize that there's some really amazing research out there and that some of the stuff I was doing was being backed by research and then some of the stuff I was being doing was not. Um, so for instance, I stopped doing spelling tests because there's mm. very little research that supports that being helpful in any way. Yeah. I could also argue if it's even important. I mean, yeah. it, it, I understand for language one, you want to get people a comprehensive level, but for language two or three, it should really be mostly about communication. And if, yeah, and if you halt, agree. if you halt communication by being overly uh, stringent on the spelling, then I, 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 would definitely see the the reasons for why that would be a bad idea. I'd rather have people with spelling mistakes, but actually being, you know, underst understandable in in context, uh, than students just afraid to produce anything because they don't want to make a a typo or they're oh I don't know how to spell this so I don't I'm not going to write anything. Amen to that. I wish I wish all language teachers and language learners could have the the same perspective you do about that. Well, that's the revolution we're trying to start, isn't it? You know, we, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a long battle, but uh, we're trying to get rid of the uh, grammar tables and the dusty textbooks and the, the spelling tests. And uh, hopefully one day we'll, we'll get there. But, um, but until then, I just want to say thank you for coming on and, and sharing your story and, and enthusiasm about language learning. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Hi. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Actual Fluency Podcast. I really appreciate having you here today. Just before you leave, I just want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, which is italki. Italki is a tutoring platform where you can find affordable tutors for every language in the world, pretty much. So get started today and get a free $10 credit when you book your first lesson. If you go to actualfluency.com forward slash italki, that's spelled I-T-A-L-K-I. So give it a go and feel how tutoring can really boost and enhance your language learning 